Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. Nick here again. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. So as we've gone through 18 months of chaos around the world, uh, some transitions and transformations that I don't think are ever going to go back to the way they were before, I thought at about time we go a little bit deeper into wellness, health, uh, work-life balance. I say balance because does that really exist? Well, certainly what is it going to be in the future? So today I'm delighted to have on the show Jen Fisher. Now, Jen Fisher is Deloitte's Chief Wellbeing Officer in the US. And in this role, she drives the strategy, the innovation, all the things that are really important and crucial around work-life, health, wellness, empowering Deloitte's people to prioritize their well-being so that they can be the best both professionally and in their personal lives. So we're going to talk about how she is developing and cultivating strong relationships in the workplace to maximize well-being, but not just that, also to boost bottom lines. And one of the things I like about our conversation today is we talk about the good and the bad, if you like, the pros and cons of technology, and also what we think is going to happen, a bit of a gazing into the future, if you like, now that we've got the pandemic starting to ease. I mean, you know, as we record this, there are still outbreaks of various, you know, variants, if you like. But, you know, we're starting to see things going to be different. And what does that mean for the world of work and and what are Deloitte doing, which I think is a, is a nice window into what some of you know, the bigger businesses around the world can do and will do, but also what a lot of people listening to this show, their smaller business, small to medium-sized businesses can adapt in their workplaces for best effects for both bottom line and for the well-being of their employees. So there we have it. That's today's show. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Jen Fisher. Hi, everybody. It's Nick Bradley here yet again, and we have a fantastic guest onto the show today on Scale Up Your Business. I have Jen Fisher. She is from Deloitte. She is the Chief Wellbeing Officer in the US, and she looks at everything to do with the strategy around work-life. Can I say work-life balance? We'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> health, wellness, all of those things that, to be honest, right now are critical. They were critical before, but they're absolutely at the forefront now. So Jen, it is a delight to have you on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Great. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit back. Um, the backstory, I always like to know the backstory of the people. Who come <laughs> the show. So how did you end up in, in this role looking after health wellbeing for, you know, one of the biggest consultancy firms in the world? Yeah, it's a, it's a question that I get a lot. So I'm, I'm used to answering it. <laughs> um, and there's definitely is a backstory. And, you know, the, the truth is, is I've been with Deloitte for 20 years and not always in a health and wellness role. And so it was a, a bit of a, of a, of a merging of kind of personal need, but also, um, you know, the, the time when, you know, work and, and life and technology were truly merging, I found myself really at a complete state of burnout um, to the point where, yes, I was aware and yes, I knew it was creeping up on me, but 
you know, six, seven years ago, stress and burnout and these types of things, they, they weren't talked about in the workplace the, the way that they are today. Um, and so I looked around and in a high performing organization, everybody's really good at showing up <laughs> and pretending that, you know, everything is great. And I was like, okay, well, there must be something wrong with me. If I'm, you know, if I'm feeling this way, I can't, I can't seem to be the perfect employee, the perfect partner, the perfect, you know, all the roles that we play, you know, the perfect friend, the perfect daughter, all of those things. And so I just kept powering through. I just kept saying, I'm going to sleep on the weekend. I will rest when this project's over. I just kept pushing myself and pushing myself until the point where I couldn't put, I mean, my body finally said, all right, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it for you. Um, and I had to, I was forced to take some time off. I had to take a leave of absence. Um, cause I really could not, I could get out of bed, but I couldn't engage in life or work or really anything that mattered to me in any meaningful way. And so through the process of getting healthy again, and that was physical health, but also my mental health, I was struggling with depression and anxiety, and I still live with anxiety today. Um, you know, I became very passionate about finding a different way, finding a better way and wanting to help others you know, realize and recognize in the words of Ariana Huffington, that burnout is not the price that we pay for success. And we shouldn't be okay with that. But that was the path that we were going down at the time. And unfortunately, in a lot of ways, I think we're still going down that path. And so, um, you know, when I went back to work, I went back to my leader and um, who was an incredibly, you know, compassionate and empathetic leader at the time, who is still a great friend and, and mentor today. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to leave Deloitte because this is what I want to focus on. And there's not a role here that focuses specifically on that. We've always had great you know, benefits and tools and resources for our people to take care of their health and well-being and, and wellness, but never really anyone in that role that was specifically focused on you know, helping people in, embed this into their life. And so um, I was going to resign. And she was the one that pushed back and said, you're not leaving go back to where you came from, because if you need this, then everybody in the organization needs this. And so um, that set me down the path of putting together a business case, doing my research. And, you know, after that kind of meeting with a bunch of our, our senior leaders and kind of saying, you know, give me a chance to bring this to life at Deloitte. I really believe in it. Um, I think it's something that we need. We're an organization that relies solely on our people in terms of our business. Um, and, and I got a lot of support, surprisingly. I didn't think I was going to get the amount of support that I did, especially at the time that we were doing it. What, what, um, what is the time? So we can ca catch into the time check here. So at what point did you write that business, that business case? About six, about six years ago. So right, okay. 20, 2015 was when I took on the role of, of chief wellbeing officer at Deloitte. So it was, okay. it was pretty, you know, pretty early, you know, it wasn't that it wasn't being talked about. It, it was just still heavily focused. You mentioned work-life balance, you know, work-life balance was kind of still the language and the lingo, and it was heavily focused on wellness and not whole person well-being. And what I mean by wellness is just, there were a lot of programs and tools and resources really focused on physical health, but we weren't really talking about mental and emotional health or purpose or kind of the things that make up a whole person. And, and this idea that, you know, we don't, we don't check our home life when we walk through the doors, whether they be virtual or physical of work, and, and vice versa. So what happens at home happens at work and what happens at work, you know, we all bring home with us. And so, but there wasn't that broad realization at the time. Um, and so it was, it was, but, but people were really starting to feel it. And we write about this in the book, Work Better Together that we just released is because that was, 
I mean, we started to really adopt all of these technologies into every aspect of our life. And we, and we have continued to adopt and adopt and adopt technology, but we haven't as human beings adapted to it very well. And that's what's leading to so much of the conversation or around burnout, of course, in addition to the pandemic that we've been living well, through. But we'll even get, before we'll get that, into that, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna let you go that far into it. Yeah, we're gonna go back more. Cause okay. so, so 20, 2015, 2015, like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of envisioning a sort of Jerry Maguire moment here. You've written this like manifesto paper, like, you know, it, how, how well received was it? Was it, was it like, you know, other than you and obviously your boss and you guys thinking people need this, did, did it hit the company at the right time or did you really have to drive this in? It, uh, so a little bit of both. Um, I got very lucky that our leadership team at the time and still today really understood the um, importance of health and wellness to high performance. Um, you know, and and so so they they quickly kind of understood that connection. Um, what that meant at an organizational level, or what we would go do, or how you operationalize that was probably a little less clear to them, but they trusted me. And, you know, they kind of said, uh, you know, and, and the way I, I guess the way I presented it was give me a chance to do this. And if it doesn't work, I'll leave. Cause I was planning to leave anyway. <laughs> right. And so I kind of gave them a deal of like, okay, there's not really a big risk to you. If it works, then it's going to be great. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, you can kind of be done with me. Right. <laughs> That's a great so. place to be. That's, that's not like you're worried about your job. That's like, you know what? Well, I'm just going to go out and do something I'm passionate about that I think is required. And, you know, so okay. I don't know that I don't know that I would do that today, but at the time, I guess I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> what was your, before you did this particular role, I'm just curious, were you just doing some general consultancy across Deloitte or did you have something that was in line with this beforehand? No. So, so my background, you know, in, in college, um, I actually started out studying accounting and I got, and I got through enough of the accounting curriculum to have a minor in accounting. And then I was like, wow, there's no way I can do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> God love the accountants. And my dad is one. And that's probably <laughs> why I chose it. But I was like, yeah, I'm no good at math. I'm never going to succeed. <laughs> so I, um, and I was really passionate. I've always been, and I was an athlete all, all my life growing up. I've always been passionate about sport and athletics. And so um, I really wanted to go at, like study exercise physiology, but my parents being who they are, you know, were like, oh, you know, you, you can't do that. There's no future in that. I, I, you know, I, I disagree wholeheartedly, but you know, that was their view. I had a father, my father's an accountant and my mom was a school teacher, school teacher. And they're like, we're not paying for college. You're, you know, for that you're going into business. So I switched my major to business management and marketing, but I do have a minor in exercise physiology. So this has kind of always okay. been a, a passion, you know, it just was a personal passion. And I never really thought that there was a way for for me to kind of merge it into the work world and until I did. Right. And so, um, it, I guess it's a, a little bit of all of my worlds colliding because I work with a, a whole bunch of accountants and consultants, um, and, and I get to help them embed and bring, you know, wellness and health into their life. Lovely. Okay. Well, let, let's get into a little bit around how you do that. Right. And, and, and the principles behind that, cause I'd love to kind of know how you think about this because again, I'll give you a bit of a perspective from me. So there, there seem to be certain themes and trends that tend to sort of rise up right across, you know, decades, let's say. So the whole mental well-being thing particularly has been fascinating to me. 
right? And the yeah. fact that everyone's walking around looking at their phones and there's this connection, non-connection, relationships have changed. The idea that we are always plugged in, right? Yes. How do you, how, how have you tackled that? Just to start there, like an easy one. How have you, how have you tackled that? Because work doesn't, work life, I was joking about the work-life balance. It doesn't, they, they kind of merge now, don't they? Yeah. So it's, it's not work-life balance anymore. And, and actually that was one of the things that I struggled with being type A was that um, I was always trying to find that perfect balance between work and life. You know, like I really wanted it to be 50, 50 and it never really is. Right. And so for those of us that are very literal and take words, very literal work-life balance is really hard to achieve because it's never balanced. The truth is, is it, it shouldn't be balanced. It doesn't need to be balanced. And I think people need to be aware of that. There are certainly times in your career where you're going to give more to work. And there are other times in your career and your life where there are things going on in your life where you need to give more there. And so it's either, you know, I talk about it as an integration because integration to me is kind of day to day. How do you manage life and work in a way that works for you? And so design your day in a way that works for you, that allows you to integrate life and the things that matter to you and your personal life, but also have a meaningful and thriving career as a whole, as part of your whole life. It's not one or the other. And I think balance also kind of, you know, you, you or we've been made to think that we're either going to be really successful in our career and sacrifice everything in our life or vice versa, right? That you can't have both and you absolutely can, if you can integrate them. And so it's really a kind of a rhythm over time. Um, and so in terms of, you know, technology <laughs> and, and the, you know, the impact that's had on our lives and our work lives, I mean, in, in, in some ways it's had an incredibly positive impact, right? I mean, you know, we are able to get our work done literally from anywhere, but that's also a problem because do we, you know, I mean, we can work at the beach, but do we really, should we really be working at the beach? Is that the right answer well, for what us? Do you, what, so, what, what do you think about that specifically? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say I'm guilty of it, but I think it's a really bad idea, <laughs> you know, because I think it's blurring the lines too much. And, and part of it is that we live in this over overly connected world and society and we want to, right. And there's a lot of positives, right? Like we are able, to keep in touch and kind of know what's going on in people's lives that, you know, that, that matter to us in, you know, in, in a split second without necessarily needing to pick up the phone and call them. But then there's something inherently wrong about not needing to pick up the phone and call the people that you care about, right? <laughs> you know, you're just scrolling to see what's going on in their life on social media. And so it's just, you know, I mean, it, it's this, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tug between, you know, there, there's some real positives in it, but, and I think the issue is that, you know, we haven't adapted to the technology, the adoption and the technology itself to me, aren't bad. You know, the technology is, is what it is. It's that we as human beings and as a society haven't really taking control over the technology and decided how we want to adopt it, adapt it into our lives or not. We have just let it kind of take us over and it is controlling us. And, and I think the fourth industrial revolution has essentially convinced us. And a lot of the negative talk about AI and automation has made us fear technology um, and made us feel like we as humans need to compete with our technology. So technology can essentially work 24 hours a day. Human beings cannot, and we should not, and we shouldn't 
hold ourselves to that expectation because there's a lot of things that humans can do and will always be able to do and need to do. The technology, no matter what they say, I don't believe the technology will ever be able to replace some of the things that make us uniquely human. And in the workplace and in life, that's what we need to start celebrating and rewarding, not the people that stay up all night to get you know, their work done, not the people that, you know, respond to email in a hot second when they're on vacation. You know, we need to start rewarding different behaviors, like the people that take truly disconnected vacations, like they do not check email when they're on vacation, the people that are getting enough sleep at night, because those are the people that are going to, I mean, all the research is there. Those are the people that are going to show up, be the most engaged, do their best work. (laughs) You know, I mean, we know that, right. But our behavior and what we reward in the workplace is the opposite of that. And so there needs to be a huge shift in culture and what we reward in the workplace to kind of change this behavior, because what we've done to this point is just leading to burnout. Are you seeing that, because um, I want to get into productivity and that sort of thing as well, but are you seeing a bit of a generational change as well? So, so yeah. you know, there are people who have grown up with, with technology or the way that we do things, you know, even, even down to the idea of using multiple devices at the same time versus someone like myself, who's 46, who what was it 10 years ago, the iPhone was launched 13 years ago. Um, you know, so for me, it might be more stressful for me because I've grown up in a different way of doing things. Are you starting to see that change within, uh, let's talk about your environment? <laughs> You know, yes and no. Um, I think um, the the comfort level in which um, our younger professionals are able to adopt technology into their lives or new and different technologies into their lives is different than than, you know, kind of the older generation or the more senior people. But but I think that the the impact, the downstream impacts of, you know, mental health of, you know, loss of kind of true human connection and really being able to communicate with one another in a, in a very human way, kind of the humanity in the workplace. I think that's all the same because we're all using the same technology to replace humanity and what makes us human versus augment it. Right. And so I think people that have grown up with technology in their hands since the day that they were born, you know, don't always have the best social and communication skills. You know, they communicate like they text. (laughs) Right. And is, is, you know, in some, in some ways that's okay. And, and in other ways it's probably not. And so I think there's, you know, it, it depends on, I guess, what you value, right? Or what what you think is important. And so can they adapt to using the technology quicker and maybe more effectively? Yes, but is that the right answer? Is there a thesis, <laughs> is there a thesis that you have? Like if you're if you're looking at an organization, so so I know that you know obviously you've got to look at the individuals as much as the collective, but of of let's call it thesis or principles that you think need to be in place to make, well, to balance, let's, let's call it balance the idea that people still have to be productive and there still is, is a bottom line that needs to be delivered for the business. But at the same time, for people to be productive, they need to be happy, right? They need to be content. So how, how, do, you, how do you enable that, I suppose, in your role? What are some of the things that you have to put in place? Yeah, so um, you know, the way that we look at it, the way that we talk about it is, you know, it, um, you know, cultural behaviors and norms. And there's, it's really a three-legged school stool. There are things that can and should be done at the organizational and 
leadership and operational level. And so, you know, you know, looking at, you know, the way that work gets done and some of the work processes and making sure that they are clear and effective and that the technology that we have rolled out for our people to use is working, <laughs> right? More often than not. But I mean, I think one of the things that we see, and I especially over the last 15 months or so, is there's just an abundance of technology and there's no clarity around you know, how to use what technology when. We just kind of leave it up to everybody. And I'll give you a great example. You know, we have all these great collaboration platforms, right? And so we're using collaboration platforms, which is great because multiple people can look at documents and edit documents and do work, you know, simultaneously in the same document without having to email it back and forth. But what I see happening is, we're using these collaboration platforms, but then we're also sending emails to say, hey, Nick, I just updated this in the collaboration tool that we're using, right? So you just, when you do that, <laughs> you, you, you effectively created more digital overwhelm, not less, because the point of the collaboration tool is to cut down on the email traffic, right? And so we, again, that goes back to, we haven't adapted. It's not the technology's fault that we're using it that way. We just haven't adapted or we haven't trained ourselves and each other. And there's so much technology available to us that, we're not stepping back and saying, what's the right way to use this technology? I mean, meetings, right? The way that we do meetings is very, very dated, right? So like the fact that we can invite in, it's really easy with our technology to invite anyone and everyone to a meeting doesn't mean that we should be inviting anyone and everyone to a meeting. <laughs> just because you know, just because you just need to click their name doesn't, you, 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 we need to step back and say, like, what's the purpose of this meeting and why and who actually needs to be there because truthfully, when you get a meeting that's more than 15 and that's on the high end, I mean, it's not really that productive because half the people are just sitting there listening or multitasking or not listening at all. And there's usually five or six people that are doing all the talking <laughs> and all the solutioning, right? Everybody else is just listening. <laughs> Do you know what? In my, in my sort of 25, 30 years of working in corporate world, that kind of yeah, happened anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> the problem is you didn't have the toys though. You didn't have the mobile phone or the, Ab the tablet to absolutely, go. You know, right. I mean, shopping. it happens in in-person meetings. It happens in the digital world, but again, these, so we're, we're, we're working, you know, kind of how, how we've worked for years. Right. And, and there were norms and behaviors that were created in a, in an organization's culture way back when that way back when they made a ton of sense and they were done for all the right reasons. But for whatever reason, we haven't stepped back to say, wow, the way that we're working, the way that we want to work has completely changed. And we haven't, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's how you actually change. I mean, the first step to changing an organizational culture is to take a step back. It's not to invest, you know, it's not to throw spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. It's actually to step back and say, what are the behaviors and norms in our culture that are keeping people from feeling well and being happy and being engaged and being productive? Like, what are those things at the operational level, at the, you know, in, in operations and leadership and, you know, the physical environments that we work in and the virtual environments that we work in, in our connection, relational, our connections with one another. I mean, you can look at it at all levels. And so I started to say, you know, organizational team and individual, when we look at well-being, 
um, there is responsibility at all three levels, right? So organizational, what leaders can do from an operational and just leadership walking the talk, right? I hear all the time that our leaders say one thing, but then they do the other. <laughs> and that is such a, I mean, that's such an easy you know, easy fix doesn't cost any money, but it doesn't happen. Right. Because again, we're set in our ways. We're set in the ways that we always used to do things. And for a lot of leaders, that's a difficult behavior change at the team level. The team is actually where it's most powerful because teams can and should get together and say, you know, how do we want to work? What do we want this to look like? What do we want our team behaviors and norms to be? Because we know from our research and lots of other research, the people that have the biggest impact on your well-being on a day-to-day basis are the people that you work most closely with or the people that you come in contact contact with the most. That's going to be your team. So deciding things like, what do we want our standard working hours to be? How do we get in touch with each other when it's outside of standard working hours? Don't leave that up to email because then everybody feels like they always have to be connected to email. You know, what is standard, you know, business as usual response time for emails when we're just getting work done? Being clear about what we want that to look like and what the expectations are. Brene Brown says clear is kind, (laughs) right? So we need to be clear about what the expectations are around how we get work done and how we use our technology. And everybody will feel a lot better, be a lot happier, and honestly, a lot more productive. And then at the individual level, look, we all always have responsibility for our own health and well-being. No one can do it for us. You know, organizations and teams and leaders can create the right environment, but we can't force you to take care of yourself. Ultimately, you have to do that and decide that for yourself. So everybody does have personal accountability and responsibility when it comes to their own health and well-being. So sorry, I just threw was, up all over your, you. <laughs> no, 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 you, no. It's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break it down now. I'm gonna get, we're gonna get practical now. But before we do that, how, how is the success of what you do at Deloitte? So, in a few ways, um, the, the, the number one way is, you know, from a metrics perspective or, you know, really collecting data mm-hmm. perspective. We have an annual talent survey um, that goes out to all of our professionals um, every year, and there are several questions on there that, that are specific to their health and well-being, you know, how they feel about, you know, the, the amount of stress that they experience in their life, how supported they feel by their manager and the organization. So a number of questions. We also do several times throughout the year when needed or warranted sentiment analysis. So we want to understand, you know, the sentiment of how people are feeling, who they're feeling supported by, what are the tools and resources that are most useful to them versus not. And that is really helpful because we're able to kind of do it in the moment. And especially during the pandemic, that's been really helpful as things have changed and evolved (laughs) so rapidly. We've been able to quickly understand the, the sentiment of our employees and it helps us understand where we invest and sometimes where we stop investing. I mean, if something is just not valuable to our employee population, our workforce, we can stop investing in it and and re and take that money and reinvest it in something you know that is valuable to them. And it's also just important to always engage your workforce um, and understand what they need and want. You know, when you do that, you actually get an uplift because they know that you care what they think. You're not just well, you're raising <laughs> yeah. awareness, aren't you? You're raising awareness of it, so therefore, you know, it's a little yeah. bit like yeah, yeah promoter schools so, and things like that. And then I would say the le- you know kind of the more subjective way to know is that you. You start to, you know, you start to hear stories. People start to reach out. People start to share. Mm. You start to kind of, and you, and you see and feel the behavior and culture change. Everybody starts to, you know, kind of see and feel that. Yeah. Cool. Well, I said, I want to get practical because I think sometimes people 
Now they listen to my show and and they hear some of the big companies, the McKinsey's, BCG's, Deloitte, whatever, and they they like to know what do you guys do as best practice that can be applied to my business, right? So of whatever size. So are there some? I, I want to sort of also come towards what's happened the last eighteen months as well now in terms of you know flexible working and all those sort of different things. But are there some things that you specifically, Jen, believe in? That you think, you know what, the workplaces, if you were looking at all workplaces, they should adopt these sorts of things. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, and, and we, we've touched on them a little bit, but I, but I would say where I would focus for an organization of any size, yeah. um, you know, is, is at the team level. And you can define team however, you know, however your organization defines team. But, you know, really empowering your teams and your team leaders, and this might require a little bit of training, you know, on having these conversations. What do we want work to look like? What makes the most sense for our team? There's a lot of talk out there about the four-day work week, and I keep getting asked, what do you think of the four-day work week? Here's the thing, you know, it's not right or wrong. Does it work for your team and your organization and the type of work that you're doing? For some people, the four-day work week is great. For other people, it's far more restrictive than a seven-day work week, but allowing me to kind of work when is, is, Let's just play with this a bit. So, so, but if, but if we say team, let's say I, I might have a team within Deloitte of, you know, a hundred people, let's say, right. If I said, you know what, what's going to work best for my team is three days a week work. That's what I want to do. In, in an organization, a global organization like Deloitte, would that be accepted? And another team says, hey, I want my, I want my people to work six days, but they're only working three hours. And what I'm trying to get is there's got to be some sort of parameters around it for the organization to there, work. But flexibility there, does need, the there does need to be organized. And that's where the org, I mean, there does need to be organizational parameters yeah. for, for that to work, certainly. Um, and, and I would say a three or four day work week won't work if the rest of the organization is working and still sending you emails and yes. making requests <laughs> on those days that you're not working. Right. And so that is one of the reasons that the four day work week, depending on the organization, probably won't work and would, you know, in a lot of ways kind of feel, you know, they're more restrictive or, or just, you know, fail, right. Quite frankly, but, you know, but within, I mean, some easy things that any team can do, right. Is again, that doesn't take a lot of money, you know, have discussions about what do we want our standard working hours to be? You know, what does that look like? When can we all genuinely and, and, and generally expect all of us to kind of be online and reachable within a certain period of time. What does that look like for us? You know, and it, and after that, you know, how do we get in touch with each other? Is it by text message? Do we pick up the phone and call? Is it through some other, you know, some other messaging platform so that we're not all tied to, to, um, to email, um, things like how do you handle vacation, right? Like, when somebody is on vacation. So one of the things that my team and I do, and this is not a norm all across Deloitte, but it should be, you know, is when somebody on our team goes on vacation, we intentionally remove them from all of the email traffic and all of the collaboration tool traffic. And then the day that the day after that they're back, not the day that they come back, the day after they're back, we schedule 90 minutes on the calendar to debrief them and bring them up to speed on what was what what transpired while they were out. So that gives them a sense of comfort of like, okay, first of all, I'm not going to come back to 6,000 emails. <laughs> so therefore, I don't feel like I need to check email while I'm on vacation. But I also know that when I get back, my team's going to bring me up to speed and I'll be able to jump back in and, and start to be productive and kind of where I left off. And so that alleviates a lot of the stress. So things like that, I mean, teams will come up on their own. We have teams that do learning and development together. We have teams that decided 
that, you know, they want to take the lunch hour off every single day. So completely disconnected lunch hour. Everybody has permission to, you know, walk away from their laptop, not be connected from, you know, whatever it is, 12 to one every single day. So it just depends, you know, because we have teams that span time zones across the U.S., across the globe. So that gets a little bit more tricky. The bottom line is have the discussion, ask people what they want, ask people what they need and be creative of how you're going to, to, to do that and how you're going to serve the needs of each individual person. And that doesn't cost any money. That just requires people to talk to each other. I'm going to say that I'm going to say the word creativity, because I think the way you express what you do with your team is really good. I mean, it it does, it's not, it just takes a little bit of of thinking about, you know, what would you like in that situation? Because I, I remember, I mean, I, I'm, I, I have multiple businesses these days, so I don't, I'm not employed per se, right? But I was employed for many years. And I can remember the pain of coming back uh, after a holiday to, you know, even if I was yeah. disciplined enough not to look at emails on a holiday, but to come back to, like, the whole thing was just depressing. The last few days of holiday yep. weren't fun. So, well, and, and I used to be that leader that said, I don't expect you to check email while you're on holiday, but I'm going to check email when I'm on holiday. Cause I don't want to come back to all those emails. Yeah. And that is a problem because as a leader, I'm saying you don't have to, but I'm going to do it. And so then if Nick aspires to be a leader in a role like mine, one day, he's going to say, I hear what Jen says, but ultimately if I want to be in a leadership role, I probably need to do what Jen does. Right. And so there's a disconnect between what I say and what I do. And so it's really important to come up with these things as a team. And then as the leader to very strictly role model those things like you, cause you're being watched as a leader, you are being watched. Every move that you make is being watched. Yeah, no, I've, I've always been everything you say, do feel acts is, yep. is modeled by yeah. your team. Absolutely. Yeah. What I'd like to do um, just to finish up our conversation today is talk a little bit about obviously the last 18 months in the pandemic. And, and specifically the fact that, you know, we've had to change how we work and obviously relationships have, have evolved and changed because we've, we're doing what we're doing now. We're, we're communicating and meeting on, on a platform, again, back to technology. What, what have you found has been good and not so great about that? And more importantly, as we're sort of coming out of it now, as we record this, this conversation, what are you advising? <laughs> what, are you, what are you advising to do? Because, like, you know, like, we're going backwards in the US, I think. Well, yeah, I'm trying to be positive. Um, yeah. <laughs> mind you, mind you, mind you, I think our case is I going appreciate out. that. I know, it's crazy. Well, I'm hoping to get on a plane to your side of the world as soon as, soon as they open up. But, um, you know, there are a lot of different businesses out there right now who, who have had to operate for the last period of time, literally fully remote, right? Set up as we are now, Zoom calls, all of that. And now there's this decision about, well, actually, what is what is a typical working environment going to look like post-pandemic? Do I need to have the same infrastructure of offices? How many days a week does someone have to come? And is, is this idea of working homework? I'm just curious about how you're thinking about that with such a, a large um, organization like Deloitte, because again, a lot of smaller and medium businesses can learn from some of those, those principles as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the, the, the truth is, is, we're still thinking about it. We don't know all the answers. I don't think anybody does, um, but we are committed to, a, a, you know, the future of work for us is, is fully hybrid. Um, and in some ways, you know, Deloitte was hybrid prior to the pandemic. I mean, we have for a long time had people that work at a client site or work in an airport or work from home or work in an, you know, so, so we've always had a pretty kind of transient workforce that has moved around and been able to work from different places. And so, um, you know, but, but, you know, 
So I think, look, for us, there's always going to be a need for the office in a physical space. What changes is what's the office used for and what do we and why do we go into the office? You know, and I think why we go into the office is collaboration with others. And so if your day is a day where you are heads down, focused on, you know, getting, you know, individual or personal work done or focused work done, the need to go into the office, there's not necessarily a need to go in the office. That said, it really depends because what if I live in a small apartment in New York City with three other roommates, <laughs> right? For me to work at home or work from home is, is, you know, is, is a little bit more challenging. And so are there other places, you know, we call it return to work places because it's not just about returning to the office or working from home. There are, you know, there could be third party spaces that we ultimately end up working in. There could be, you know, for some people, they want to work in the park or the coffee shop or, you know, but, but, you know, kind of any spaces where we officially go to work will be like workplaces, but really, you know, the future for us is truly hybrid. I think, again, what that looks like is going to be different. And a lot of it depends on your role. I mean, there are people and there are roles that need to be in the office more often than not, depending on what it is that they're doing. And then there are people that are still going to continue to travel because that's what the, you know, the client need or the client demand is. And so I think that the challenge from a well-being and also equity perspective that everybody is dealing with is, you know, how do you make sure that you're not creating kind of two classes of, classes of employees? And I think that's what people are worried about. If, if I'm in the office with the leader, because that's what, where the leader is, you know, is the person in the office versus the person that's working remotely kind of going to get, you know, more preferential treatment, not because there's any significant bias, intentional bias going on, but, you know, that's FaceTime, right? And so how do we come together in the moments that really matter for everybody in their career? Um, I think, I think we're going to, I think we're going to learn a lot, you know, and I think that this is the time to really engage the workforce and say, hey, we don't have all the answers because we actually haven't done it exactly like this before, but we're trying and we care and we want to know what works for you. I think the worst thing that any organization can do is draw a really hard line <laughs> to say, we're either going to work all remotely or we're going to work all the time in the office. Um, and we're seeing the impact of some of those decisions that are, that are being made. But I think now is the time to really engage the workforce and help that have them help you design what it looks like because that's where you're going to get i think the most return on on your decisions when it comes to that yeah and it's an interesting point because i, I hadn't appreciated you're right the FaceTime with leadership versus the other thought which is well if if that if my my friend over there gets to work from home five days a week because that job and role allows that but i have to be in the office is that unfair you know, but it all, it all, it all comes down to kind of how you like to operate too. Cause I know some people who just love to be in offices all the time. Right. So there's always going to be a, like I say, discrimination, there's always going to be a view, which because it's more flexible than it's ever been. And the opportunities are more flexible than they've ever been. It's going to be harder, I think, to ascertain fairness in whatever shape. Or form. Yeah, and, well, I think ultimately we, we will also get to a point where we designate certain roles that are primarily, primarily remote and primarily in the office. And then there'll be a lot of roles that are kind of hybrid and in, in between. And, and I think organizations will need to be very transparent about that when they're hiring people like your, this role is primarily remote. I mean, that's the expectation, right? So you need to be able to work 
from home or in a remote location. And that's a requirement of the job. You know, other roles that are, you know, need to be in the office, that's a requirement of the role. And people will, you know, and I think organizations need to be very transparent. So when people apply for those roles, they know what they're getting into because the worst thing you want to do is bait and switch. (laughs) And so, so, because I want to touch on the book as well, Work Better Together uh, and the relationship aspect of this. So, which was, because do you find, have have you found that, there is quite a big difference between building a relationship like we are ultimately here meeting for the first time through a piece of technology versus that, you know, the the technical water cooler conversations and all that. Are you finding that that's just relevant that people have just found ways and adapted because of what's happened or, or is there a, you know, a need to come back together just to form deeper relationships? So I think that there is always a, a there's always going to be a need in the workplace to have um, you know in person time with one another and the people that we work most closely with. You know, human beings we're social creatures, and there has been a ton of research that yes, we can use technology to connect with one another a hundred percent, and that's one of the great things about technology. But it really can't and shouldn't be the only form of connection that we have with other human beings because who we are biologically as creatures we're we're meant to like connect with other people physically in the same space <laughs> and and that matters and there is a difference when you use technology to connect even though you and I can look at each other and have a great conversation you know the 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 lag or the delay in facial expressions i mean there's a lot that doesn't come through in technology. And so the way that I look at technology is we need to use it to augment or enhance our social connections, but not replace them. Right. And so, you know, there's always going to be a time and a need for us to gather together at, like I said, at those moments that matter, um, you know, to build true human connection. And then after that, you're in between those times, that's where we can effectively use technology to, you know, sustain and maintain those relationships. I will say that the pandemic has things that I hope continue. I mean, we have seen a lot more vulnerability um, and people speaking up and talking about their needs, you know, and, you know, it's okay to have barking dogs and cats and kids and whatever else is going on in your life (laughs) come across the camera screen and people just out of pure necessity have had to speak their needs because a lot of the things that we used to rely on to cope or to make our work lives work, (laughs) were taken away from us. Right. Um, and so I think, I I hope that a lot of that kind of vulnerability and asking for what we need and and when we need it and how we need it sticks around. Um, but I do think that there is, you know, whether that's in the office or in some other forum, I do think that in the workplace, it's really critically important for us to have, you know, face-to-face human connection, um, and, and, and build relationships in some, in some way and kind of some regular, um, you know, cadence in between the times that we're using our technology to stay connected. (laughs) One thing I've noticed, which I think is interesting is whether it's right or wrong, some people, um, have a very uh, clear divide between this is work, this is, um, you know, home. And I think, because people have had to be on Zoom, and you're right, the cat runs across, the coffee's been spilled. There's a, there's a level of authenticity of I've now brought right. you into my home, right? You know, I'm right. having a meeting, like you know, you're, I think you're home, I'm home. Um, you know, so that's interesting for some people, and I think that does bring a, a degree of authenticity and warmth to relationships Absolutely. as well. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, people have pointed out like, oh, I see that book on your bookshelf. I read that book. And then, you know, I mean, and those are those are probably things that may have never come up if you were just in the office. Right. And so so there is a a benefit and a value. And that's why I think hybrid, you know, is the right answer. Right. Because it allows it allows the worker to maintain some autonomy and flexibility and how as to how and when and where they get work done. But also, you know, having the ability to go into an office or a physical space to truly connect with one another, like I said, will continue to be important to who we are as human beings and our needs as, as social creatures. I was going to say, whoever said that about books on your bookshelf, Jen, for people who are listening <laughs> to this, people will see this on the YouTube channel as well, but um, Jen's got this amazing <laughs> array of books and honestly, they're a long way from, I can't read any of them. <laughs> I'm sure they're fabulous. They're, they're really good eyes, but I, yes, I'm surrounded by books. I, I uh, not only wrote a book, but I love to read as well. <laughs> so as we finish up the conversation today, so I'm going to recommend that people um, have a look at your book. So work better together um from amazon all good bookshops all that sort of stuff um yes and where can people find out more about you jen i know you've got a podcast as well i do have a podcast it's called work well all one word um and it's on available on any podcatcher you can just search that out and we kind of talk about i talk to experts on all topics related to to well-being and in life and well-being at work as 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 the title suggests um but you can also follow me or find me on social i'm on linkedin uh, jen fisher and i am on uh, twitter and instagram jenfish 23 so uh you know seek me out and and follow along and i'm always posting things that are interesting uh to me and sharing a point of view so awesome. i'd love to engage with you great well listen it's been a delight as i said having you on the show today jen um some great perspectives on on everything that we have to think about i think not just because the world has changed i think that's why i wanted to have you on the show it's a, it's a great time for this conversation but not to say it's the only time to have this conversation yeah. so uh thank Absolutely. you very much for uh, for coming on today Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. And there you have it, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.